0: Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org there's also our church app which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org app so thanks again for joining us this week and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you so we're doing a uh, we're doing a series starting a series called uh, mega transitions mega transitions and as you know can i interrupt you we do, uh, often? what's that we do oh, we do the offering. Jeremy is the executive pastor. He knows we missed the offering. So, hey, the ushers are coming right now, and they're going to be taking the offering while I'm getting started here. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for, for seeing that. And I uh, almost lost my job. There we go. So, Okay, so we're doing this series called Mega Transitions. Mega Transitions is about the book of 1 Samuel. And actually, we'll be doing a little bit of 1st and 2nd Samuel. I don't know if you uh, like the Old Testament, but, uh, you know, we just got done a 52-week series on the book of Acts, and so now we're going to spend a little time in the Old Testament. Uh, Not to worry, there's a lot of New Testament principles that come out in the Old Testament that connect. So uh, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite books. I'm reading in my devotions right now, 1st and 2nd Samuel. Just got done 1st Samuel and 2nd Samuel. So I just love this book. And uh, it's a cool book, and it's about transitions, transitions. Why is the book of 1 Samuel about transitions? So here's why it's about, the book, uh, why it's about transitions. It's about transitions for this reason. Uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, we have the emergence of what's called the monarchy. We have a king that's put in place. Before 1 Samuel is a book called the book of Judges. And the theme in the book of Judges is, there is no king, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The last verse in the book of Judges, the book of Judges comes right before the book of 1 Samuel. The last verse in the book of Judges says, and there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. So if you know anything about the book of Judges, it's a uh, chaotic time. Everything's very disorganized. Uh, things are up and down. Uh, there's invading armies. There's famines. There's strife. There's war. And it represents a time of disorganization. And I think that when you don't have a king in your life, when you don't have the, the Lord as your king, your life is disorganized and your life is filled with chaos. So the book of Judges sets us up for the book of 1 Samuel. And the book of 1 Samuel is about transitions because in 1 Samuel, they transition from this loose confederation of tribes with no centralized government. And in 1 Samuel, they transition to a a centralized government and a king that rules over them. And so there's two different kings in the book of 1 Samuel. The first one is the first king... Anybody know who the first king of Israel was? His name was Saul. He was a sick person. He was insecure. He was jealous. We're going to learn some things about dealing with that in this series. Then there was transition from Saul to uh, King David, Israel's greatest king. Now, why is the book called 1 Samuel? Because there's a guy that is born in the first chapter. We'll learn about that next week. And his name is Samuel. And what is Samuel's number one job? Samuel's number one job is to, he's, his biggest thing he ever does in life is he anoints King David. He pours oil on his head. The prophet, he's the prophet, last judge, and he anoints David to become king. So it's a book about transitions. Transitions. Now, I don't know how you do with transitions, but here's the deal. The better you are at transitions in life, the more successful you'll be in life. If you cannot do good transitions, then you're always going to struggle in life. And this is a book about transitions. I think about the first transition I was struggling with when I was in junior high. I was in uh, seventh, eighth grade, eighth grade. And I remember thinking that next year I'm going to the high school. The high school. That's the ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade, the big school. And I remember as a a 13, 14-year-old kid, in the summer before I went to ninth grade, stressing about that transition, that I was gonna to go to the big school, had to change classes more, and uh, there was four grades, and it was a bigger school, and I remember thinking about that transition. My granddaughter, uh, Nora, just uh, left Splash, and now she's going to East Millsboro, and kindergarten, full-time kindergarten, and she's had a lot of anxiety about that transition. And she's crying, doesn't want to go to school. And then all of a sudden she got better. And we found out that she got a boyfriend. <laughs> she told me, came up to me and whispered in my ear, said, Papa, I'm in love. I said, Nora, you're five years old. You can't be in love. And you will not be in love in Jesus' name. But <laughs> well, she's having a good time. She's loving school now. Transitions. Transitions. For me, I remember transition from singlehood to getting married. you remember that? When you were single, you know, you have a certain way of living when you're single. That's a big transition, and people aren't really good at it sometimes. I wasn't good at it. I was single, and I was used to thinking about myself, only myself. Whatever I needed is what I thought about. And I got married, and all of a sudden, I'm in another world. This is a whole different situation because now it's not just me, I had this other person and I can just be sitting on the couch innocently, get up and get a drink of water and bring the glass back. And Karen said to me, you didn't ask me if I wanted to drink of water. Wow, that throw me off. I just thought I got a drink of water. Now it's more complicated. Getting a drink of water is more complicated because you got to think about somebody else that may drink, need a drink of water. Transitions are really, really tough. And that's why I think it's important the people that are in their late 20s and 30s, get married, get married, get committed to somebody. Life is not a perpetual dorm pizza party. you got to grow up at some point. you got to get married, and you got to have some kids, and you got to pay a mortgage. That's part of life. Can you say a big amen? See, all these, like, you know, like living, they're like, you know, come on, you know. That's, it was good for me to get married. The reason it was good for me to get married, I got married young, really young. Karen got married young. We got married, and it was good because it taught me about the world, not being about me. Learning to serve, and you know, I remember when first time Karen got the flu. She got the flu, and she we were living in Florida. We were in college, and we had shag carpet. Does anybody remember shag carpet? <laughs> Karen got the flu, and she threw up on the, fly, on the on the shag carpet everywhere, and it was yellow shag carpet, and there was vomit on it. And I remember when I got sick, when I was a kid, my mama, she put a little wet rag on my forehead, and she would wipe my forehead as I was throwing up, and she would clean up every, every mess. And I looked at Karen, and I looked at the mess, and I said, where's mama now? Where is mama now? <laughs> I found out I was mama. It's my job. That's a big transition. Transition. From singleness to marriage, and God designed it. God designed that we get married and that we take responsibility and that we learn how to care for somebody else, and it's time to do that in our culture. For heaven's sakes, come on with it. Then you go from singleness to marriage to having kids. How about that little transition there? Having kids. Listen, kids don't care anything about you. They don't care anything about you. God has put kids into this world and people that are ordained to have kids. God has put kids in this world to teach you how to kill yourself for their, ha- for their benefit. Kids don't care if you're tired. They don't care if you haven't slept in hours. They don't care if you haven't sat down in seven years. They don't care. They want something from you, and you better give it to them right now. And that's why God, God designed kids to come into our life so we just... You know, they just suck your brains out. And then you're just like and you get you give and you serve and you give and you serve. i been I was we went on vacation a couple weeks ago. We were at the Outer Banks with Anthony, uh, North Carolina, and my son Tim and his wife Jess were there and our little uh, grandson Jack who's two and a half. Jack is just running everywhere, he's climbing up the curtains, he's climbing down there. Tim said, I can't wait to get back to work. He said, This is awful. And I went to bed every night. Karen and I went to bed, and we held hands, and we just thank God that we didn't have kids like that anymore. We thank <laughs> the Lord for that. So you go through that transition. You know, Jim Gaffney, the the comedian, says that you know, you uh, you know, you, you you have that third child. It's like you're drowning, and somebody hands you a baby. That's it's just it's just it's just overwhelming. But God's designed it that way. It's a transition from from being single to getting married. From getting married having children and then you you dedicate your life to these kids you dedicate your whole life to them and then they leave you then you go through the empty nest syndrome and you know for most people you know it's it's you know it's, some people it's a big deal those people those kids leave them and 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 they don't need you anymore and it's it's nature's big trick on you you give your whole life to them and then they say no thank you i don't need you anymore and you have to get used to that. I remember Karen and I, when our kids moved out, we were sort of young, empty nesters, and the house was quiet. We absolutely love it now, but the house was quiet, you know, for a while. And you know, you know how you've done a good job as a parent? You've done a good job as, your, as a parent if your kids don't need you. If they don't need you, you did a good job. If they're needy, you didn't do a good job. I go out to dinner with people and their adult kids, 35, 37, call 14 times while we're having dinner. I think there's something wrong here because they don't, they don't need to need you anymore. I'm telling you, my boys don't need me. I mean, they, all, they love me and I love them and we're, we're good and all that, but they don't need me anymore. And that's the goal of the whole thing, that they don't need you anymore. So that's a transition. How many been through that transition? That's a transition. How many are looking forward to that transition? You're hoping for that transition. Lord, take them quickly. Let them go to college now Well, at 12. We'll just send them to Harvard right now, get it over with. Then, you know, you go through retirement, You have a retirement, that's something some people go through. Sometimes people have, you know, they work all their life and then they quit working and all that. And they've got that transition. you got, you know, sometimes, you know, a spouse dies and you got that transition. And my family, my dad's going through that right now. You know, two months into my mom being gone, that transition, I look at him, he's doing... He's, such, he's doing such a great job. He's just, God's grace is on him, and I look at him, and he's such a man that I respect because he's walking through life's darkest valley and he's walking through it with God's grace. Life is filled with transitions. It's always filled with transitions. Here's a transition that's that's significant to us as a culture. This is the transition of people moving from one place to another place. Let me ask this question: how many in this particular service this morning you uh, were not. you're not from Sussex County or the Eastern Shore. just raise your hand. look at this you've transitioned to this, this area and here's, here's listen, Bay Shore. We are called by God to embrace people that move into our community that's our calling. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible has a lot to say about strangers, about people moving in to our community. Karen and I went to the uh, a uh, travel agent, the other day, we're working on our Alaska cruise because, you know, we're at that age. you got to do the Alaska cruise. you got to get it done. And so we're, we're working on the Alaska cruise, you know, we do the Alaska cruise. The end is near. So we're, we're working on the Alaska cruise. So I we went to this travel agent, talked to her, and she said, uh, she said hey, I, I moved here seven, eight years ago from New Jersey. And so we talked, and she's moving in, loves this community and all that. Here's what the Bible says about strangers. Do not mistreat an alien. Or oppress him, for you, are al- for you were aliens in Egypt. Now, the word alien is the word stranger. It actually means the word alien. Do not mistreat an alien Is actually a newcomer. A newcomer. So that's a big transition. We're called by God to embrace people that are moving in our community. When you think about Femke Island, us going to Femke Island, we're there to embrace people that are moving in to our community and love them and care about them. When I first moved here uh, 38 years ago to take this church, something like that. I think it's 38 years in... Uh, 38? Yeah, 38, 37 years. 37, 38, something like that. My mind's gone. Anyhow, I know. It, but I remember moving here and going down to the little Gumborough store. And I thought I saw this lady that went to the church here. And I thought she was from our church. And I wanted to be friendly. I'm the new pastor. I reached out her hand and said, How are you doing today? And she stood back from me. And she looked at me and said, I don't believe I know you, do I? Now, that won't make you feel weird. Whoa. Say this way we are called by God to embrace people that are moving into our community. We're called by God to do that. So that's a, that's a transition. The Bible says, don't forget to uh, entertain strangers because sometimes you've done that uh, angels unaware. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Hebrews 13, 22, do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing them. And the word strangers there is the word philos and xenos and the word xenophobia comes from that. You know what xenophobia means? Xenophobia means to be fearful of strangers or foreigners. Say, say, lift up your hand right now and say, we are not, we are not xenophobic, xenophobic at Bayshore. So that's a transition. Transitions. Transitions. It says this, uh, James Clear wrote this uh, little quote. James Clear wrote a great book called Atomic Habits. James Clear says, major life changes... Moving to a new city, starting a new job, ending a relationship, getting married, having kids will often make life harder for the first hundred days before improving. This is not always true, but it's a nice reminder that experiencing early struggles doesn't mean it's a bad choice. So there's always a difficult, there's always some discomfort with transition. Always some discomfort with transitions. So that is a good thing. Discomfort means we're growing. Discomfort means that we're, we're making some progress. And I remember when I was uh, learning to drive my first car, how many remember your first car? My first car was a 1969 Chevrolet Nova. I may have a picture of a Nova here. Uh, that's, a, that's a 1969 Chevrolet Nova. Now mine didn't look near that good. Mine was white and it was four door and it didn't look, and the wheels weren't that cool. But uh, that was my first car and it was a, it was a column shift. It was a three speed. So it didn't have the, the cool, you know, four-speed in the floor, but had column shift. So first gear was down here, second gear was up there, third gear was down here. Reverse is way up here. And I had to learn how to shift that car. And I remember the first time I went up that, there's a hill in Seaford coming up on High Street. Uh, if you come from Blades and there's a hill, and I remember being on that hill with a clutch and trying to get the gears to work right, transitions requires some skill, and you, learn how to, you have to learn how to be successful in transitions. But say this with me, transitions equal change, and I cannot change without experiencing change. So when you're going through a change, God is changing you. When you're going through a change, that's God's environment to change you, to help you to grow when I wanted to learn how to swim, my uncle, uh, he said, I'll teach you how to swim. And he had a boat and he took me out on the Nanticoke River. He was a big water skier and I went out with him and my, my aunt and my uncle took me and picked me up and threw me in the Nanticoke River and I learned how to swim. It's amazing how a new environment will give you new skills. So a new environment that God puts you in God uses that to give you new skills. So transitions are growth opportunities. So in the book of 1 Samuel, the great transition is is they have a king. They have a king. And in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel the prophet, the book of 1 Samuel is named after the prophet who anointed King David. And Samuel realizes that Saul is not going to do it, Saul is bad, Saul's not good, and so he leaves. God says to Samuel, quit mourning over Saul. Sometimes you've got to quit mourning over some relationships that are done. Quit crying about Saul. Go and anoint David. And he goes to Bethlehem to anoint David, and he goes there, and he anoints David, and as he anoints David, he uh, you know, God begins to do something new in, uh, in, in the nation of Israel. And what's interesting about David, it, let me read to you 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse to Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So this is the pivotal verse in the book of 1 Samuel. I've been, I'm calling you to anoint the son of Jesse, as a king. So the transition is from disorder to order under a king. And the thing about David being anointed as a king is this. Here's the significance of it. David is a figure or a shadow or a type of Jesus. David in the Old Testament is a picture of, of the coming king who's Jesus. The first verse in the New Testament. The first verse in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1, do you have that Matthew chapter 1? It says, it's the genealogies there. I'll find it here in a second here. Matthew chapter 1. Well, why don't I just tell you what it says? How about that? Matthew chapter 1. Here it is, here it is. Genealogies, Matthew chapter 1. Let me just get a confessional here. How many have ever skipped the genealogies in Matthew? Just raise your hand. You shouldn't do that. Matthew's genealogies are really cool because it's the descendants of Levi, so it's basically Levi's genes. Anyhow, that's a little joke. Uh, This whole sermon was built around getting to that joke, but anyhow. First verse in Matthew says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus was the son of David. Eleven times it says he was the son of David in the Gospels. And the blind Bartimaeus, have mercy on me, son of David. So when you see David, David was a forerunner, a picture of a coming king that was going to be anointed over Israel, that would reign forever. And it says in the book of uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, uh, it says that the king, look, look, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you, you rest with your fathers, I will raise up for you an offspring to secede you who will come from your own body. And he is the one, verse 13, who will build a house for my name and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish. So, David is going to have a son down the line that will be a a king forever. And in the New Testament, Jesus is a king. Remember the wise men, Christmas time, they come to Herod. uh, Where's he who's born king of the Jews? And they come, and what do they open before the king, King Jesus? They kneel down, and they give him him gold, which is a gift for a king. You find out in in the book of 1 Kings that Solomon received gift of gold from Queen Sheba. So gold is a gift to a king. So he's a king. Paul said, unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Jesus is a king. And in the book of Judges, they didn't have a king. In Samuel, there's a king. And let me ask you a question. Do you have a king over your life? Is your life in disarray? Are you submitted to a king that rules over you? And this is what it means to be baptized. The people who have been baptized today are saying, I have a king, I have a lord, I have a master. I, ask, I wonder about this. It's, it's some, something like 67 times. 67 times in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, all the way through Revelation. 67 times it says it uses the phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Say it with me, the kingdom of God. Kingdom Let me ask you something. Can you come into a kingdom without being submitted to a king? Can we be a part of the kingdom without making Jesus the king of our life? And if you're living your life everywhere, doing everything, I just have to challenge you, is Jesus the king of your life? Maybe that's why your life is in such disorder. That's why our lives and my life can get out of disorder if Jesus is not my king. So the key event in the book of 1 Samuel is the anointing of a king named David that will be the forerunner of King Jesus who will always be king and will always be king forever and ever. Let me, and let me just say this. Don't stress out about the political environment of our country or other countries. Don't stress out about the Democrats, the Republicans, the Independents. Don't stress out about that because there's a king who reigns forever and ever, and our future is not dependent upon any political party. Our future is dependent upon a king that's on his throne, that is secure, that we can stand in victory over. Can you say a big Amen. Christians live their life like there's not a king. They live life like CNN and Fox News is the end of the story. Let me tell you, that is not the end of the story. Jesus is the king. Now, the key, the key scene in the book of 1 Samuel is this, is when David had just killed Goliath, and he uh, cut his head off, And there was this big victory. And remember, Saul was king. He was the first king. But Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. Saul, King Saul, had a boy named Jonathan. And he was Prince Jonathan. He was going to become the king in the future. He sees David kill Goliath. He sees the anointing of God on David's life. And then there's this poignant scene in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 18, it says that it says in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 18:2, From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. A covenant, a commitment, a covenant with David because he loved him because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe, verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So, Jonathan sees the anointing of God on David. And Prince Jonathan, he's going to be king. He takes off the robe of a prince, the forerunner of a king and he gives it to David. What does that mean? What that means is, is he knows that he's not to be the king. But David is to be the king. And he gives up the right of his life to be king, to call the shots, to be in charge. And he gives it to the one who will be king. To become a Christian means... That you take off your kingly robes and said, you're going to rule your life. You're going to do your thing. You're going to maneuver your own decisions. You're going to do whatever you want to. You take that off and you give it to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my king. I submit to you. You're going to be the king. I bow to you and I give you my weapon. You notice he gave him his sword. He you know would use for a sword. Use a sword to defend yourself. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you give him the sword. You don't have to defend yourself anymore. You don't have to defend yourself to the world. You don't have to defend yourself to your enemies because Jesus is your protector. And let me ask you a question. Have you taken off your royal robe? And have you given it to Jesus to be your king? That's what people are going to be doing today They get baptized. They're going to say, hey... I'm not in charge anymore because when we are in charge of our life, we goof our life up so bad When we make him Lord. Everything comes in to order, comes in to order. What does that mean? It means when you come to a crossroads in life, Yogi Berra says, when you come to a crossroads in life, take it. When you come to a crossroads in life, if you belong to Jesus, you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? You're the Lord of my life. It means that your ears are open to the Lord. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 21, when a Hebrew slave decided he did not want to be away from his master and he didn't want to leave his master, he loved his master, he could go to the Hebrew slave and say, you know, seven years he was supposed to go and he said, hey, I don't want to leave, I want to be under your rule. And they would take this Hebrew slave to, a, to, the, to the doorpost of a house and they would put his ear against the, against the, uh, the side post of the door. They would take an awe and they would put a hole in his ear. I was an ear-piercing for the first time. And it meant that every Hebrew person that had a hole in his ear had his ear open to one master. Had his ear open to one master. So now that I've become a Christian and I follow Jesus, my ears are open to Jesus. Jesus, what do you want me to do? I was playing tennis uh, on Friday. I was getting beat terribly, but I was playing tennis. And one of my good friends who doesn't know Jesus, I'm playing tennis with him. And he had told me before the uh, before our tennis match, when his best friend from New Jersey had died. And he was just grief stricken over it, and we're playing tennis. And I guess he was getting all this frustration out because he was beating me so good. And he was having such a good time. And I'm sitting there playing him. We're almost to the end. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, I want you to pray for your friend before you leave this tennis court. And, and so my friend who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't know about much about Jesus I just said to him hey can I pray for you and it was because Jesus spoke into my open ear I want you to do that so I tennis court nobody was around I didn't embarrass him I just I prayed for him and asked the Lord to comfort him Holy Spirit to comfort him he doesn't know the Holy Spirit he doesn't know who Jesus is I just prayed for him and you know when we got done praying he gave me a big hug he don't even know what that was all about but he was touched by that experience say it with me to follow Jesus means to listen to Jesus and do what he wants you to do. So I was riding, and I'm going to end with this. I'm five minutes over, so I'm going to end with this. Yesterday I was riding my bike at the. Uh, I parked my bike at. Or I parked my car at my truck at the uh, Lewis Library, and I rode the uh, break. I rode the Gordon Pond Trail and then the Breakwater Trail, 15 mile little loop there. And I parked my car, my truck, and I'm, I'm riding through Henlopen State Park, and I'm riding on these little asphalt things and I'm I'm, I'm huffing. I went up some hills and I I got to this one section of road. It was a straightway and there's this guy on a skateboard in front of me and he's skateboarding and he's got one of those long skateboards and I'm like, passing on the right, passing on the right. And that guy kept, I'm like, I got to get by him. you know. I'm like, I got all this momentum and I'm trying to get by him and I'm passing on the right. He kept saying it. And finally, I said it really loud. I knew he had to hear me. And I'm coming up on the side and he still comes over to me. We run into each other, and he didn't fall. I didn't fall. It was there was some conversation, but it wasn't too bad. And now uh, we had this little—he was okay and all that. But you know what? I didn't realize he had headphones on. No wonder he couldn't hear me. He had headphones on. And before you meet Jesus, you got headphones on. You're not listening. You're not listening to Jesus. You're just doing your own thing. But Jonathan said, "I want it right here." Jonathan said, "I'm taking off my kingly robe." And I give it to you, David, because you're my king. Would you lift your hands this morning? Would you just lift your hands up and say, Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're my master. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian 20 minutes, you've been a Christian 20 years. Your fundamental walk with Jesus is him being Lord of your life and everything that he asks you to do. He loves you. He cares about you. come coming. The team's coming. We're going to get ready for some baptisms. And uh, would you just say this with me? Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I surrender to you, and I celebrate that I'm not to be king, but you're to be the king of my life. Now, I just as the Holy Spirit's just moving right now as, as the musicians are playing softly. If there's been disorder in your life, sometimes disorder is because of your own choices of being the Lord of your life. Just say, Lord, I just, I just refuse to be the Lord of my life anymore, and I make you Lord of my life. I make you Lord make you Lord in my life. Amen.